This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest edition of Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mast from MLB.com, alongside Director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. Uh, Greg, as we are sitting here taping this, we're just a couple hours short of first pitch of the 2019 All-Star Game. We have two starters in the lineup with Freddie, who I think is batting third, and Acuna, who I believe is ninth in the lineup. And then maybe, hopefully, we'll get to see Mike Zaroka go out there and pitch an inning. Um, but either way, we're well represented. There's snits on the coaching staff, which is just right. so cool. It's really cool. I was looking at um, the red carpet pictures and footage, and he and his wife Ronnie are there, and you can just tell they look like they're just having a, just a <laughs> blast, which is so cool that uh, that snit gets to be there as well. So the Braves are the Braves and Braves country are very well represented at the the All Star Game. In honor of the All Star Game, what better way to, to honor that than to have a former Braves All Star and two time All Star Bruce Benedict? I, I will admit, other than kind of having seen some of the numbers and the baseball cards back in the day. He was a little bit before my time. I didn't know much about him um, and what a thrill it was to get mm. down, just to get to have a conversation and listen to him tell some stories mm. for a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your yeah, relationship with um, Bruce. Bruce is great. I've known Bruce a long time, obviously being a former Brave. And then actually he was uh, was a coach of mine with the New York Mets. So that's where I really got to know him. What, what was he? Uh, uh, he was bullpen a coach? Yeah, bench coach? Bench coach. Bench okay. coach. Yeah, for Bobby Valentine with the Mets when I got traded up there in 97 he uh he was there and and of course I got to know him and uh, but just one of those guys there's there's a couple alumni that can tell stories like ever you know nobody else I mean there's the Daryl Daryl Chaney and Bruce and you know David Justice there's guys that just they love telling stories and Bruce is one of those guys I can sit and listen we were sitting up in my office for about an hour and he was just <laughs> we were just going from one to the other and it's just a lot of fun and um, I think um, the fans are going to really enjoy the podcast today because Bruce is uh, a wealth of knowledge like I said he's been a scout he's been a player he's been a coach he's just been a around the game a long time and really has um, has a really cool perspective on it. And I love talking to him about his experiences. And, and, of course, something about being catchers. You know, there's always a relationship between a pitcher and a catcher. And so we just – we've always hit it off. And so it was good uh, good to him to join us tonight. And uh, then he's here for, um, you know, our all-star all star event that we've got going on. And he's one of our ambassadors in, in preparation for our 2021 all-star game. Awesome. Well, as Greg said, you're going to enjoy hearing from Bruce Benedict. I know I certainly 
certainly did. I came away from this interview wishing that we had another couple hours to go with him. So I, hopefully we can definitely have him on again in the future. And uh, yeah, I should probably say a little bit about Bruce. I yeah, mean, I mean, because uh, you know, two-time all-star, we mentioned, yeah, two-time but, yeah. all-star, twelve-year, and he played his whole career with us. So and he caught five Hall of Famers, um, about nine hundred eighty-two games he caught, um, and and he is scouting now for the White Sox, in which he does reference. But one thing that's interesting. Uh, that we didn't really have a chance to get into, maybe sometime in the future. But he's a Division One and Two uh, college basketball referee. Oh, and guys, I know we meant to get into that. I know, we, we, we just ran didn't out of time. time. Yeah, yeah. So that's a whole different subject. Getting, talking to him about basketball, but he is just, you know, he's a good athlete, and he's been doing that for years. So I think he's getting ready to retire here in the next couple of years, uh, being a referee. But he's been doing that a while. But real interesting character. So I just wanted to say that before we got into the podcast. Without further ado, here he is. Former Braves All-Star, Bruce Benedict. All right. Well, Bruce, glad you're here. Appreciate you being on Behind the Braves. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I really look forward to it. So I was really excited when I got the call for me to say, come on down. So, um, like I said, happy to be here. Yeah, you're uh, here via Lake Oconee out there now, which I didn't realize you had moved. Most people go out there to retire, but you're doing anything but retiring. I'm not retiring. Um, the furthest thing from it. Um, so I, I, I scout for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, this is my sixth year with them. And so and, and before we get going on that, probably one of the, the, the classier organizations that I've ever been a part of, from the ownership on down, from Jerry Reinsdorf, mm-hmm. And um, our upper upper office management with Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn and my boss, Dan Fabian, they they can't be any more quality people. They're family oriented people. They're very loyal people. And uh, and if you go to the White Sox, you you don't ever want to leave because they're 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 just fabulous people and people, different scouts in the industry ask me all the time. You know, you have any openings over there for Chicago? And I say, you know, no, I always tell people, no, we don't because they're they're wonderful people. And hopefully we're trending back up again well you you would know you've been in baseball a long time i mean you played for the braves for 12 years which you played your whole career with us which is awesome then you went right into uh, coaching and of course you and i hooked back up together um back with the mets up there in the in the in the mid to late 90s and then you went right into scouting you've been scouting and so you've been a i guess you would be considered a lifelong baseball guy which you can you find that many guys around now have you run into many no and in, in fact probably it's starting to be a dying breed you know because of the way that the industry is changing a little bit because of the saber metrics and the analytics and things like that so the old time uh guys um the boots on the ground you know sort of thing it, it it's not completely going by the wayside but some organizations are are phasing some of it out mm. i mean I, th- I still think well i think what happened was is that um you know the numbers are good the analytics are really good um and i tell everybody they ask me about it and I go, it's the first thing i do when i go you know to the to the game i go to the press box and i get the statistics mm. i mean that it, it's a stat game um and so then I think we got, I think through Moneyball, we shifted pretty far one way. And then I thought, well, the people were thinking, well, maybe we've gone a little bit too far. From, now it's coming back to the center. And I think a lot of organizations, if they're smart, um, they use both. Mm-hmm. They have people that, that, that go and look at players, that evaluate players, uh, their instincts and, and um, 
their attitudes, things like that, how to mm-hmm. play the game, and then they have the numbers to, to back mm-hmm. up, and so it works together. Yeah, and I, w- I really want to get into that at some point because I know you have a unique perspective by being in the game at doing many different jobs, but I, I do want to just mention that, you know, in the podcast, we're really talking about this is All-Star Week for us. You know, we're going to watch the All-Star Game tonight. We got to see um, Acuna and, and uh, some really fun, entertaining um, home run derby last night, which I know we talked about a little bit earlier. And this is our – we're kicking off kind of All-Star Week here at the at the Brace Stadium. We're doing a big event tonight. We're actually going to watch the game on the field while we're having dinner. We brought some All-Stars in. We've got Dan Ugly here tonight, Andrew Jones. Bruce is a, a two-time All-Star. We've got him coming, Mark Wollers. So we're going to have a great time. We're going to uh, do some Q&A and stuff with Chris Domino later on tonight. So I, I really want to mention that because uh, Bruce is going to be one of our – kind of our All-Star ambassadors – he helped us kick it off with the press conference that we had when we announced that we got the 2021 All-Star Game. And so tonight he's back here with us to um, to kind of be a part of one of our All-Star events. So I did want to say that, but um, and I wanted to get in uh, about your career a little bit because you have some great All-Star stories being at two of them, um, you, of course, played back in the 80s and in uh, some of the 70s and 80s. And, and so your generation of guys, and, and Ricky and I have talked about this, Ricky is kind of more, when he was really into the Braves, was kind of, I mean, he's into the Braves now because he works with us, but his his guys are like in the mid-2000s. Oh, okay. And mine was, you know, kind of your era because I was growing up and, and watching Pasquale Perez and Bob Horner and yourself and Gary Matthews and all that kind of stuff. So we talk about that kind of stuff too. So anyway, I thought that was worth mentioning that that's why we're here we're having you on the on the podcast today absolutely and i know one thing i wanted to ask in terms of the the scouting that you do now and you'll kind of touched on it there with the analytics i mean uh, one thing that struck me we we interviewed brian mccann the day that he signed to come back to atlanta and we talked to him one thing that kind of struck me was also as a catcher like yourself his investment, probably from his time in Houston, his investment in the analytics and kind of the way the game has evolved and how he's evolved with it. I mean, was that a difficult thing for you at all to kind of evolve from the way it was when you were playing to being a scout now? Um, no, not really, because you had to get on board with it because that's the way the industry was going and say, this is what we're doing now and this is how we gather our information. And like I said, a lot of organizations now just pair the two. They have scouts out there looking at players. They file their reports. Like I said, the White Sox called boots on the ground. They like to have people in the stands watching players. Um, you know, the old-timers will say, and there's some merit to it. There's some merit to it, and, and, and Greg was very good. There, there are two boxes at the, at the top of the page. At the end of the day, he can play or he can. <laughs> and you can. there are numbers that either back that up or, or they don't back that up. And that's what scouts do. So I go and look at a player. Uh, I scout our entire organization for the White Sox. I see our whole organization play twice. First half, second half, 10-game stretches where you see the starters twice. I see a reliever three or four times. You get um, probably 30 or 40 at-bats. And then, you know, I'm confident enough in my ability that I can make a determination whether I think this kid's got a chance to play um, at at a high level or not. And then, you know, when you scout, you know, when you go to AAA, you know, they're, they're mostly like emergency players now, guys that can come up for a short period of time. While <laughs> so somebody, you got the merry-go-round going. You got the merry-go-round <laughs> going. Um, for me, I think AA is where the players are at now. Hmm. Those are where the, a lot of prospects are. And if you can succeed in AA, you've got a real shot. And then, 
um, as you go down the ladder a little bit, I tell younger scouts, we're, we have a lot of younger scouts now in the stands. A lot of scouts don't have white hair in their head like <laughs> I do. And uh, I'd say once you start, the lower you go, the more you, you lower your expectations of the player especially in low A ball or rookie ball. These players had long college seasons. They're just coming out and they've signed and they've joined these clubs. They've had long, like I said, long seasons already. And one of the things that they have to adjust to right away is they play the game and then you, then they'll say, well, we got another one of those tomorrow. I go, yeah, we play tomorrow. And then there's one, there's one after that, and there's one after that, and there's one after that. I mean, so they have to learn how to, to get themselves ready to play, mm. make their adjustments, take care of themselves, live on their own. Mm. Um, some of these players, you know, have been in these college programs, and they're pretty much catered to. And then all of a sudden you get in pro ball, and you're not making that kind of money, and you've got to mm-hmm. pair up with somebody and, and find your way, you know, through it. To, to handle it and then with playing every day and it's and so it, it mm-hmm. can be difficult so that's why i said you lower your expectations how and why this kid got drafted mm. what are his tools what did he show the amateur scout that he might be able to play in the big leagues you know one day so we try to identify that as early as we can yeah that's i, I love talking with the um, guys like yourself that have been in the game because you, you you've seen thousands of games you you caught 982 games in the big leagues, so that's just amazing. So as I'm including the minor leagues, I don't know how many, how long you played in the minor leagues. I didn't even look that up, but um, between that and coaching scout, so it doesn't take. I wouldn't imagine you can look at somebody just like I can evaluate a pitcher. I feel like I don't need the stats to do that. It may confirm a hunch, right? right? But right. Um, but it, it is amazing to think when we were coming back through the minor leagues and what our expectations were as players and kind of going through that process. And now you're on the other end of it and you're thinking, okay, what is this kid thinking? How do I project him? Because it's much more than just what his numbers. I mean, you're reading between the years, you're reading the heart, yeah. you're reading his skills and then you're seeing how is he going to stay healthy, compete, all that kind of stuff. There's a real art to that. And you've been doing that a long time. Do you feel like you're better at it now than when you first started? I, And I, I told some of this a couple of years ago. I wish before I managed, because I managed three years, I managed at Braves, Ricky, and Danville, and then Greenville for a couple of years in AA. I wish I would have scouted before I managed. Hmm. That would have really helped me understand the player player development, what they're going through. I would, I just wish I could have scouted three or four or five years and then got back into the player development side. I think that would have helped me a lot hmm. and uh, become a better manager because, you know, now I can look at a player and, um, you know, with your baseball experience, you can break down a player a little bit. And then, but when you watch them play live, you see their instincts, you see their heart, you see their, how they react when they're going well. How do they react when they're not going so well? Are they, how are they in the clubhouse? Mm. How do they go about their business during, you know, batting practice for, for, for hitters? Do they hit good pitching? Or they struggle to hit good pitching and feast off guys that, that, that are having bad nights. Or pitchers, same thing. Do they swing and miss his fastball? Can he repeat his delivery? Can he repeat quality back-to-back strikes? Numbers show the end of it. Um, you know, some of the scouts will say, well, the, uh, the Major League Baseball scouts, um, they, they tell you what a player, you know, is going to do. And then the analytics tell you what he's done. They, you know, hmm. then they add it all mm-hmm. up. So the scout can tell you, hey, this is what this player is probably going to do. And then the stats bear that out. So, hmm. like I said, that's why there's a, that's why there's a marriage there between the two of them. Hmm. And uh, I like going look at a player, 
And I think the perfect time for me would be like five days, five or six days. I can look at him and say, hmm, he may not be playing very well right now, but I mean, he can run. He's, he's got arm strength. He's got instinct. He's, he's you know, he, he get, gets the bat through the zone. Um, he hits the ball the other way. He hmm. hits good pitching. He hits bad pitching. I mean, so, you know, for about five games or so, I can kind of look hmm. at a player and say, this guy's got pretty, you know. I can remember when I first started out for the um, – for the White Sox, I was in Double A, and uh, like the Knoxville Smokies. I think it was the Knoxville Smokies. They had yeah, the Blue Jays. That's where I'm from, Knoxville. Okay. It was the Knoxville Jays. Okay, well, who, they were the White Sox who, 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 at one point. Right, they were the White Sox. Now they're the Smokies. Who were the Cubs? Who's the Cubs in Double A? That, that's, that's, that's Knoxville. Yeah, yeah. And so they um, they had a third baseman, and I watched him play for about three games. And I, you know, I called in right away and I said, "Man, they got a player here that you cannot believe." I thought, "Man, I found some. This guy can really." <laughs> Diamond in the rough. Diamond in the rough or whatever. It's Chris Bryant. Oh, okay. They said back, you know, text, thanks, Captain Obvious. Everybody, everybody in the industry knows this guy can play, and you're finally getting on board with it. You know, I watched him play like three or four days, so this guy's really something. So, kind of uh, missed him on, yeah, the, on the draft. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so, you, you know, you'll run into guys like that. Um, and the Braves had a few in the minor leagues where you go and watch them mm. play and you go, hmm, you know, Acuna, you know, in the minor leagues. And and uh, you watch them play for a little bit and go, these players are going to impact the game at the big league level. They can help you on offense. They can help you on defense. They can help you uh, on the base pass. They're, they're, they're instinctful players. Man, and there's not very many of them. I mean, they're, they're not all over the place. But, boy, when you see one, mm. they, you stick know, out. they really stick out and mm. show you that they can play. Well, somebody asked me this the other day. They said, how much impact does a catcher have on a pitcher who's struggling, you know, or, or the game plan of the pitcher? You know, how are they really helping the pitcher? So I want to ask you that because you caught five Cy Young Award winners. Uh, I'm sorry, five Hall of Famers. So think about Gaylord Perry and John Smoltz and Glav and Bruce Suter. And I mean, um, there's a couple more in there. Necro. Necro, yeah. So um, and then that's not including the guys you caught in the All-Star game, but just the guys that were the Braves organization. So tell tell us and tell our audience how you think you impacted them when maybe things weren't going so well. Was there something that you were good at that you would help those guys kind of kind of snap out of it? Well, it, it, it's all on the individual basis because there each pitcher is is is, is different. So you kind of get to know you know him what he you know what he likes, what he dislikes. When you sit before you sit with a pitcher before the game. You want to do what he wants to do. What What are you most comfortable doing? How can I get on the same page with you during the game with science? How are we going to attack hitters? How can we get you in a group? If he comes up, how you know how are we going to go about getting him out? So first of all, you do your scouting on the opposing team, and you try to match up that pitcher's strengths with with the hitters that you're going to face. A lot of pitchers. Uh, just want to go with their strengths. They're going to say, well, this is what I do. And so I'm going to just try to do this and we can try to get in on him a little bit or go away or breaking balls when we get ahead of him. But find out as much about the pitcher and dedicate yourself to him that day. So he knows that you're behind him 100%. And find out whether some guys, you go out there sometimes and you say, listen, we're not doing very well. We need to change something. What we can do to get on the right track here. Or you or you just like a guy like Gaylord Perry. You know, if you walked out the mound, he would, might look at you and go, what are you doing out here? <laughs> why don't, you know, why don't you get back there and sit down and, and well, I'll take care of it. You know, some guys are just like that. So, you know what you're working with, who you're dealing with. And, um, 
you know, sometimes you go out there and you just say, man, we're just, we're doing great. We're just, just keep what we're doing. I'm not going to stay out here real long. Just give you a little breather. You've had to cover first base, catch your breath. So-and-so's coming up. Remember how we're going to attack him, right? Just get him kind of back in there and kind of get him back focused. But, you know, very rarely do you go out there. And I think those days are gone when you go out there and scream at somebody. I mean, I remember, <laughs> I remember talking to Brian Snicker the other day, who's, who's a very, very good friend of mine. Our families are close. And talking to Brian, he said, you know, the days of, of really getting on a player and yelling at a player, they're 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 pretty much gone and he said if you've got something that you need to address do it quietly maybe in the office or do it quietly or something like that but um i think those days of going out there and saying you know what the heck's going on out here you need to bear down you know you might say i am bearing down you know i've looked at euro for three in this game too with a couple of strikeouts why don't you bear down and uh you know that's going nowhere yeah. that's right. so turn into a fist fight yeah it turns in yeah that's going nowhere and uh so I, I can remember, I, I told you that little bit before we, uh, before we came up here today about the Nolan Ryan in the All-Star game. I'm catching him in the All-Star game in 1981. I throw the ball to second base, and he calls me out to the mound, and he looks at me and goes, Kid, he said, we're not going to get embarrassed in this game, so you go back there and put down number one or number two and see if you can get in the way of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that's the way he was. He was all business. You know, he's a man's man, all business. And so you just try to know – Get to know as much as you can about that, you know, that individual. Like Tom Glavin was very young, but very, you know, uh, a very technical player, very somebody that was smart, could figure things out. So you could work with him on that. And, you know, like John Smoltz, called John, John was just so overpowering, so athletic that you just, you know, kept him in a good frame of mind and, you know, and say, let's go get him with your stuff because, you know, he was just so, so good and probably one of the most competitive dudes you've ever, That's ever been sure. around, ever been. He mm-hmm. would bet you, he bets you on everything. Oh, he'll yeah, bet, yeah. He'll yeah. bet you on anything. And uh, so you, you can, can suck him into a battle. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, it my might goodness. be how many steps to your car. That's you know? right. <laughs> I mean, if you're on the putting green, how about, all right, let's have a little putting contest. Every time you're ever with him, you know, there's some bet going on about something. <laughs> Very competitive guy. And, you know, caught some other guys who are really good. Steve Drozian, mm-hmm. and then Cy we had Young Award Cy Young Award winner, and Throws these guys, wall. very very competitive people. Sometimes they get so competitive, maybe you got to come go out there every now and then and slow them down a little mm-hmm. bit. And uh, you know, somebody they make a good pitch, and the guy, you know, hits him off the end of the batter, breaks a bat, and get getting back, getting back on the beam, mm-hmm. saying that's all right, it's a great pitch. That's going to happen sometime. Let's go get this guy. Let's go get this guy. How are we going to go about him? So get him back. Getting back to where he, where mm-hmm. he started from, getting back focused again. Because, shoot, you know, you look at the – especially if you're facing the Braves lineup like you are right now, and you lose focus on one or two of those dudes, mm. you're backing up a base or rubbing up a new one. Mm. You know, and so you, if as a catcher, you got to keep your pitcher engaged all the time. And, you know, there's a thing that we haven't talked about is I think the strike zone has shrunk into nothing almost, and that can frustrate a pitcher. Mm. Um, a construct, you know, frustrated pitcher a lot where if he thinks he's not getting some calls and making some good pitches, um, then you can get with the umpire and say, listen, I, I think they're good pitchers. What, what do we need to do to, <laughs> to have these look better to you? Am I, am I jumping up or am I, am I too far out? Am I trying to bring them back too fast? Or, you know, what am I doing? How can we get back on the same page? We need to work together, you know, a little bit. And then the pitcher gets frustrated and, uh, Mike Fulton Evans and I are friends, but he, you could tell sometimes when he's pitching that that can frustrate him a little bit. So you go out there and try to say, look, I'm working with him back there. Don't show any emotion. He's, he's on our side. He said he, he missed that one. He may not have said it, but he said he's missed two or three. You keep on the pitch right there and we'll get it. So let's not worry about it. And let's just uh, stay to the task at hand and get him back, get him back where he needs to be. Hmm. 
That's a good point. You mentioned catching Smoltz and Glavin when they when they first came up. How early on as a catcher are you able to tell? And obviously you can't project a Hall of Fame career on somebody when they come up. I know that's like impossible. But how early on can you tell when when you would catch a guy for the first time? Like, hey, this this guy this guy has a chance to be something special or to, to be a big leaguer for a long time. Well, I caught John Smoltz's first major league win in New York. And uh, caught his first strikeout, and I was here when he when he got his three thousandth. I was sitting in the stands behind home plate, and you could tell just by catching him. And you know, at the end of the game, I think Bobby Cox was our general manager, or whatever, and, and and went in and said, "This is this. These are going to be something special." Just the way he went about his business, the way he competed, the stuff that he had, how he used it, and wasn't afraid. And you know, even like Tom Glavin wasn't afraid of anything. And just they compete so well, they know what they have, they know how to use it, and they know how to apply what they have to the hitter, and they read hitters, and they read the line. How about Greg Maddox being able to figure all that out? He knew exactly how he was going to pitch somebody, where he was going to pitch, every sequence. So as part of a catcher is to get on that same page so he doesn't have to shake to every pitch. So he can just look in and go, this is what we're doing. They, they stay in a groove. They stay confident. Hey, I'm, he's with me. You know, same thing, too. But how about throwing somebody out every now and then or block a pitch, block a tough pitch in the dirt? <laughs> and then you say, hey, I can throw my breaking ball down in the dirt if I need to, and he's going to block it for me. Yeah. Or if I, somebody gets on a fast runner. Now, it's a little bit of a lost art now because – um, I can remember, you know, back when I played a little bit, I think it was, um, I think it was the Houston Astros and seven of their nine players in their starting lineup had 20 or more stolen bases, which you will never see that, you know, never see that again. And there were teams back then that ran all the time, uh, St. Cardinals, Louis Cardinals, yeah. Montreal Expos with yeah. Dawson and Reigns and Rodney Scott and, you know, all those guys, they just get on the bases and start going. So that was a big thing back then is to control the running game it's not so much of a factor anymore um but you know that's where you can do your part too help your pitcher out sure well i think about the play the other night you know luke jackson came in <clears throat> through every pitch that he needed to throw right. and he ended up being bases loaded no outs no i mean i'm sitting there with my wife i'm watching the game i said all right luke pop this guy up he was a bunt you know the guy's trying to bunt he pops him up and it goes over his head and lands right behind the mound and i'm thinking no not that kind of pop up but but then the guy hits a line drive and charlie colberson comes up makes a line drive catch throws him out the plate bmec makes a good tag i mean that just that changes the dynamic of that whole inning even though pitcher made all the right pitches and they were like a little dribbler here and a 50 hopper through the hole here and a blooper there and then all of a sudden you make a great defensive play your catcher holds on to the ball and makes a great tag I mean those just really change you know as a pitcher that kind of takes a bad situation and man it just kind of gives you a breath of fresh air and and helps you to, to finish up strong because you know um he's out there the pitcher was Jackson right he's out there thinking I didn't do anything to deserve this I made a great right. pitch and the guy's got an infield signal and then I'm 22 hopper and then the <laughs> bun over my head what's going on here yeah, that's right so when we talk about it, that's when the catcher goes on and says hey your stuff's good your stuff's good get him to hit it on the ground somewhere make your pitches right here we're going to get out of this and just tell him that this isn't your fault it's not gloom and doom and they did they hit it to the right guy and charlie's been charlie's been big play. for the braves all year and makes a nice play and bmac makes a nice play at the plate and then the next guy um probably wasn't his best slider but he he gets him to he tries to hit a 
four miles instead of two miles, yeah. and he hits at the center field. And well, their luck had run out. I mean, they had uh, yeah, gotten every yeah. play, four, That's right. four balls in a row. Yeah, their luck had their, their luck had run out right there. But hey, I want to just give a shout out to one of your former teammates who's not having doing very well. Um, just had surgery. That was Adrian Devine. Really? So Adrian's been battling uh, cancer and uh, just had another surgery. I think it went well, but I saw some pictures and I, we've been emailing back and forth. And and I know you used to catch him. Right. Um, so. Um, maybe our audience doesn't know as much about Adrian, but he played back when you did. And tell us a little bit about him as a pitcher. Well, he was a – what I remember of Adrian, it was real tall guy, had heavy, heavy sinker. Hmm. I think it was sinker, slider guy, and, and that ball, you know, he could break in a mitt in about, you know, half an <laughs> inning. You just get it out of the box, and before that inning's over, that thing's ready to go. So really compete, sinker, slider guy, and uh, sat with him in a bullpen quite a bit. And, um, and, he, and he had a great sense of humor. I remember, I remember when you're sitting in the bullpen, you know, you find out a lot about guys because there's a lot of downtime there. And so there are jokes. You can tell who, who can tell a good joke and who can't and, and uh, whatever. And the guy's sense of humor and guys where they're serious and guys that are not. So Adrian was always good for a good story, but we never a good sense of humor. So certainly um, we wish him, we mm. wish him the best. Yeah. And, the and best it was a good, him. yeah, hope the best for him. And he was a, he was a great teammate. Well, let's talk about some of your character teammates that you had. I know Ricky wants to know, um, talk a little bit about maybe one of those guys. What'd you, what's his name? What's Pasquale's uh, nickname? It was Pito. Pito. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the funniest stories I ever heard about Pasquale was that he, he, um, he was just very, very animated, you know, as you know. And, uh, but he had this thing of, he always kept this, he always kept this knife, you know, <laughs> and his, he always kept this knife in his locker and he liked to sneak up behind you and hold that knife, you know, up against you and say, look, if you're going to, you know, I'm, if you don't, you know, behave, I'm going to, you know, cut you or whatever. Well, he did it to Bruce Souter oh one my time. Gosh. So, so one day I get to the clubhouse one day and Souter's sitting there and goes, Benny, watch this, watch what we're going to do here. So he has a starter's pistol in his locker. So Pasquale Perez comes in the locker room and Suter starts giving him some guff, whatever. And so Pasquale says, well, I'm going to go get my knife and cut you if you don't, you know, whatever. And he goes, yeah, you go ahead and get that knife right now because, you know, they just kept egging him on. And so pretty soon Pasquale goes to the end of the locker room, brings, he starts coming down the locker room with his knife, you know, to laugh. And he says, I'm going to cut you with it. And Suter was, had his back to him and turns around and aims that starter's pistol at him <laughs> and fires off about three oh rounds. Oh, my God. Three rounds right at him. He tipped over every laundry basket. <laughs> In the locker room, tipped over every chair. He ran out in the old Bay Stadium. He ran out into the tunnel and down out out of the stadium, and we didn't see him for like two days. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to pitch, oh but he was so gosh. afraid to come back. We didn't see him for two days. They finally kept calling him and calling him, and he said it just scared him to death. Soon had a big beard. Yeah, big head. He said he went pop, 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 and then the, and then that was about it. Like I said, he finally oh showed up about three days later. When come pop, see, all these pop, years, pop. we thought it was that he got lost on, on 285. It turns out he and was he, just avoiding. You know, and you know, he yeah. did. He said, you know, I just never saw the sign to the ballpark. <laughs> and, you know, even today, there isn't one. Right. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. That's um, right. They're, um, like said, well, SunTrust, now they're, they, they've got a sign up. But back then, you know, if you're going around 285, there was never a sign that said, you know, Atlanta Fulton <laughs> County Stadium, eight and a half miles <laughs> right. that way. You know, they that's just right. didn't, they didn't have it. So, you know, back then, um, and I still today, and all over the all over the country and even out of the country, um, WTBS did more for us and mm. the, the Superstation and for our players. And um, 
then I still have people come up today and say, we grew up watching the Braves play every single night, good, bad, or indifferent. And we pretty much played the same eight guys, you know, we, you know, all the time and people around the country got to really get to know them, got to root for them. And, you know, like I said, half the time we were pretty good and half the time we weren't, but it was just such a following across the country. And it was the only show in, in town, you know, WGN had the mm-hmm. Cubs a little bit. And then was it WOR or whatever for New York got in there a little bit, but, but by and large, it was WTBS and that was it. And everybody watched it every single night. And um, so that was that was great because Ted Turner um, was a magnificent owner. He was just magnificent. <laughs> and if you needed anything, you just knock on his door and he'd say, "What can I do for you?" And and um, and how do we need to get better? And what, I'll go get it. I'll go find something. You know, an old Ted. And he was just he was just wonderful. So TBS played really such a big part, such a big part in all of our lives, being on TV every night. And and my parents. Um, grew up and I mean my parents were in Omaha Nebraska and they didn't have cable so they would get in their car and drive to a small town uh, to a little bar that had cable and sit and watch the games you know at night mm. because you could see you could see your son play every night on television which was fantastic yeah, for them that's awesome and that's a recurring theme we've had on behind the Braves I've talked about it a lot that's how I became a Braves fan growing up in Virginia because when I was a kid that was again the only game in town the only one wherever we were you could watch the Braves on TBS that's how I grew to love baseball and, and love the Braves so it's it's and I'm I've met people from all over the place I've got a close friend that's from Albany New York lifelong Braves fan because of TBS I've met free, folks from out west Pacific North west wherever and it's a it's a pretty amazing thing this entire generation of not just baseball fans but braves baseball fans were born as a result i say an entire generation really a couple generations worth really if it start if you start from around the time that you you started with the braves and on up through the 90s it's pretty pretty outstanding outstanding with the with the tbs generation as 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 murph called them the tbs kids right there's no doubt no doubt about that and and um i think all our players knew it that we were on tv every night and what they represented and um and so it was just like i said it was just such a big part of our lives and even like i said even today you'll run into somebody and shake their hand and said i just grew up i grew up watching you play we just watched every night mm-hmm. we ate dinner and you know the west coast used to you know when you guys are good the west coast used to smoke us because we had stayed up and tried to watch those west coast games because back then in that division that we were in we had to go to the west coast oh uh, yeah three was, different three different times yeah my mm-hmm. first year we were still in that division and yeah. it was tough playing we hated the dodgers and and the giants and all them but one of the things that you told me a long time ago <clears throat> i can't remember um well how the conversation came up was probably we were part of the first big yankees mets the subway series mm-hmm. so bruce was coaching i was playing with the mets at the time and it was just gobs of people i mean it was super i mean it, those are obviously big stadiums but it was just it was a big event you know you can imagine the first interleague play in the mets and the yankees so we're talking about just the old braves the old braves thing he goes well he goes there's nothing playing in front of fifty thousand pot traveling in front of 500 people he goes you get caught up in the conversations on the first row <laughs> yeah. he said that's the real distraction <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know we need to point out that um you know there were times when we weren't very good so 
Ted would play on the Superstation, we would play our games at 5.40 <laughs> in the afternoon over Atlanta, Fulton County, so he could put a you know one of his big movies on at oh, 7.40 right. or 8 o'clock. I didn't know if it was Andy Griffith who would get in the way of the Probably Andy Griffith was in on it, too. <laughs> but we would, we would play the game at 5.40, and there was nobody there. You could add archery practice. <laughs> and you could add archery practice in there, and nobody would have gotten hurt, and you know, especially late in the year. Because yeah. um, you had noticed, you know, the South's fairly football-oriented <laughs> Um, community and like I said if you were out of it and you're in September and college football was going on you played a game at 540 like I said you could drive right up and you know there's just so so many jokes about you know getting pulled over for speeding and you know if we catch you again here's two Braves tickets and if you <laughs> and if you if we catch you speeding again we're going to make you go to the game <laughs> you know those kind of things yeah. you know when we weren't very good back then we were losing a lot but um uh, yeah, five forty games, so they could put a primetime movie on right after. Were us. you on the team when um, Daryl Chaney tells a story that uh, about this about the seventh inning, and, you, and it was just the team was miserable, and Ted gets on the the PA, and he um, the team's out there warming up. And Ted says, uh, uh, excuse me, can I have your attention? Um, this is Ted Turner, the owner. I just want to let you guys know we're so bad right now that I'm going to give everybody a free ticket for the, some future game for the rest of the year right, because right. we're so bad out there. And the players are just kind of looking up like going, really? Really? We're that bad? <laughs> you know, were you out there? Then? I wasn't out there yet, um, but I remember that. You wouldn't. Ted even went and managed that one day, and then mm-hmm. I think it was Pittsburgh. He still did the ostrich races. Oh, and... my goodness. And he would chase foul balls in the stands, you know, with everybody. <laughs> and, and, you know, he would, you know, he'd sit in that little box there, and then every now and then he would, he would, he would, he would crawl over to the thing and stick his head over to the thing and ask who had the tobacco. Who had anybody got any red man? Anybody got any so and so? And he would chase foul ball. He's just kind of like you know, just chasing one of the great guys. Time. And um, wish we could a lot. Or was he trying to save money? Save money? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I guess we could have. I wish we would have been better. Um, you know, more than we were just for him because of what he put mm. into it and how good a guy that he was and what an owner to play for. It was really, mm. really something. I don't know if it was Tug McGraw or if it was um, uh, uh, the Matt Hungarian, Hrabowski, but uh, supposedly somebody challenged Ted to um, pushing the ball from home plate to one was going to go to first, one was going to go to third. third, and they had to push it with their nose. And I think he made the cover of Sports Illustrated with blood dripping down his right. his face because he skinned it up. But they, they bet him, and then um, I think it might have been McGraw, just stopped after about five feet and just stood up <laughs> and was smiling. And watching Ted was so competitive, watched him push that ball all the way to first base to beat him in that competition. <laughs> and then he came up and he had blood all down his face, and I think he was ended up being on the cover of Sports illustrated but i I mean that that happened during that time i think you know i remember that you know ted was so he was so gracious and then he was in the america's cup you know the Mm. the yacht races sure and then he won it one year and i think the next time they had it i don't think that he had a boat in it but he wanted everybody to go so he invited everybody on the braves i think there are only four players that went some front office people he charters a plane and we fly up i believe it was in newport rhode island we fly up there and go to the america's cup it's one of the neatest things he charters a boat and we get all on this boat, and it's all catered, and people are walking around handing and stuff. So we watch the America's Cup races, and I wish more people would have taken part of that because it was really, really a unique experience mm. to, to watch those boats do that. Wow. And, you know, Ted was just in his glory up there. He was, <laughs> you know, he was behind the wheel, and he, was, he watched this. And then he made us all do that stuff, the tacking. With oh, the really? Sea. Yeah, he made us all do that. Very tiring. You can do it for about five seconds, and you go, I'm, I'm done with that. <laughs> but that was, you know, that's just the kind of guy that he was. Yeah. He wanted 
everybody to be a part of part of his racing and you know i guess we were a little bit and and uh so i really enjoyed doing that it was a lot of fun that's cool is there and i want to be respectful of your time we can't thank you enough for being with us is there one thing that you look back on from your playing career that you're most proud of could it be a moment or just a, a general theme but the one thing you think about that like man that's that's if i've one thing if i could only pick one thing for my career that's that's it well there are a couple of things i i think that there are three or four i think when you get your first major league hit i think that it's a culmination of of, of a lot of things in your life um, i got my first major league hit my first time at bat on the first pitch uh, I was in St. Louis on my birthday. Wow. That's amazing. Made your debut. Made, 20, 23rd birthday. Yeah, right? 23rd okay. birthday. So I got, I was, uh, I was sitting down in a bullpen and they said, hey, uh, Benedict's going to be the fourth hitter. And um, so I run down there and the first two guys making out. And it might have been Daryl Cheney that was up before me anyway. He walks or gets a hit. So I get the bat on my birthday. So I got a hit on the first pitch that I saw on my first day hmm. um, in the big league. Who was good. pitching, you remember? A right-handed pitcher for the Cardinals named Tom Bruno. He was pitching, and um, Ted Simmons was catching for the. Mm. Of course, it was like seven or two or eight to two, and there was two outs and a man on first, so we just threw a fastball in there. And you know, I swung with my eyes closed. I think the bat went in about forty different pieces, and it blooped <laughs> into the left field. And then I started the next night and got a hit my first time up. I swung, I swung and hit a swinging bunt down third, so I'm standing on first base, two for two. I'm hitting two thousand. I looked, I said, "This is nothing." I mean, I don't know what's matter. So you know, that's a big. That's a big moment for you. And, and then, of course, when we won the division in 82, it was great. And uh, that was a lot of fun for us. And we started the season, we went 13 in a row. And that was set to really the town on its ear. There were people, thousands of people at the airport when we, you know, when we get back from these trips. And then the, then the all-star games are, are fantastic. Well, we talked to Horner. We had Horner on a few weeks ago. Bob was in town, and we talked about that documentary that they did, The Long Road to October or whatever. And they talked, they showed the people at the airport, which that remember I, that brings back good memories for me back back in the 90s when we were going on our World Series run and stuff, and we'd people show up at the airport. That is definitely a, a, a an interesting experience that that's a lot of fun. We, we'd be, you know, we would be pulling in on our charter, and they'd say, we got to wait here a minute. There are thousands of people in the concourse waiting for you guys you know you're kidding <laughs> i mean we just couldn't believe what, what was happening to us so that that 82 mm. season that was, was so much fun so much fun yeah really started good. becoming america's team as right. ted had built it that's then. right yeah, it was absolutely so, right. so much fun to be a part of well hey how about real quick just because this is um got the all-star theme going on what do you um I know you share with me some experiences at All-Star, but what did that mean to you, um, you know, personally, being there in 81 and 83, a part of that All-Star? What do you remember, you know, how exciting it was? And obviously there were some great players there. Wow. Um, you and I talked a little bit, um, you know, before we came on. I think in the 81 team, you know, I laughed about it. I think we the 81 team, we won that game. The game was in Cleveland, where it is uh, this year. And um, I think we had 11 Hall of Fame players on our team. Man, man, I mean, we were so good. I mean, I remember just sitting in the clubhouse, sitting, you know, sitting in my locker, and I, you and I were laughing about it earlier. I'm thinking to myself, you're clearly the worst player on this team. <laughs> I mean, by far, you're the worst player here. You know, try not to embarrass yourself. And you know, 
because when you when you have Carlton and Schmidt and Pete Rose and Suter and Nolan Ryan and you know you just start looking around and it's not hard, it's it's really hard not to and the game was in Cleveland and they had like seventy eight thousand people at the game and you caught yourself just looking around going oh my goodness what's going on here and I I told Greg that I faced the Cy Young Award winner that year Dave Steep and I think I have the major league record for striking out the fastest of any <laughs> hitter maybe in All Star game history because he you know he was just almost untouchable you know you couldn't do anything and I was scared to death my I could barely catch my breath, but it just, it's very overwhelming experience the first time. That's what I remember about that. And then the mm-hmm. second time I decided, I, you know, I calmed down a little bit and decided to take it all in. It was the 50th anniversary of the all-star game. It was in Chicago. Mm-hmm. They had the party at the, at the, uh, at the Navy pier and they mm-hmm. featured, uh, featured 50 years of music. Wow. There. It wow. was fantastic. That's awesome. So I decided to try to calm down and enjoy the experience. And although we lost the game, I got a hit in the game and the Braves were well represented there. And um, so those games and you sit around and you look at the players and, you know, you get to talking to them and you, you play against them, but you don't know them. And so you get a chance to be with them a little bit. And uh, and so it's just a magnificent, magnificent uh, experience um, to be a part of. And and even though the first one, as we talked about, one very glamorous was in Cleveland. It was after the strike season. I think our team hotel, I think the hotel uh, was the Holiday Inn because they couldn't get anything. And now they're taking them down the street and Rolls Royces and red carpets <laughs> and, and doing things like that. But we didn't know any better. And, you know, when we get to the game. And uh, we get to the game. And one thing that really stuck out to me, I'd never even realized it before, when you go into the locker room um, before the game, there would be from there would be 30 feet of, of picnic tables, and the picnic tables would be full of baseballs, and you had to sign every one of them. It would take you three to four hours to sign, and then you'd get one of them, but you couldn't recognize your name on it, you know, when you got it, because you were signing for like four hours. You go, I guess that's my signature, because they were, you know, giving would it to everybody. everybody. Do it? Would everybody, everybody sign it? Everybody did it. Yeah, everybody we did. did it. I remember that in the World Series. We had to do that. You have to sign balls. Sign the balls. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, so that it's just it's just overwhelming when you see that many good players that you play against, and then you get a chance to speak to some of them and talk to some of them, and and um, so to be a part of it. So it's it's definitely a fraternity. I mean, I. I I still, my kids today um, call me every year on the All-Star Day and say, Dad, congratulations, because it, you know, it means that much to you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, awesome. yeah they, call me, they call me every year, and I call my parents. And my dad's deceased now, but I would call my parents, and it's, it's just, it became a big part of your life. And it, and, and it really it was, a, it was a, you know, it was a success story, you know, for me. Um, to be able to play and be a part of it, something to always remember. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Well, thanks so much for being here with us. Gosh, good, I, good I really catching enjoy, up. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Anytime, thanks. Thank you, Bruce. You're welcome. Our thanks again to Braves, two-time Braves All-Star, Bruce Benedict, for joining us here on Behind the Braves. Really funny guy, interesting guy. As you said at the beginning, he's a great storyteller. Uh, We barely, I don't even think we scratched the surface of the (laughs) stories that he can tell and and of his many different roles, not just in baseball, but in sports. So we we have to have Bruce on again at some point to hear some more stories. But um, very cool. And you could tell, especially there at the end of the interview, just kind of looking looking in his eyes, like how much being an All-Star, and you heard his, his words about it too how much being an Mm all-star meant to him um i think that there's maybe a 
maybe for some folks out there, this conception or this, I'm sorry, perception that some players are just, uh, they, you know, they don't want to go to the all-star game rather to have a few days off. Maybe for some players, that's true. I don't know. Maybe for somebody that's been there 20 times, maybe yeah, they Hank, Hank's been, went to all of them basically. <laughs> yeah. I, you would think he would might've taken a break, but he must've really enjoyed <laughs> must've it enjoyed because it. he went every year. Yeah. But it's, I, th- I feel like that what we heard there from Bruce is probably the way most players feel, even if they're a little hesitant to go at first and would rather have the time off. I would think that once you get there and you're in that clubhouse with all of those guys and you're among the best of the best at what you do in the world, that's got to be a pretty special thing. And you could you could see how special it was to him. And it's it's very – I don't think we could have had, could have had a better guest for All-Star Week than, than Bruce Benedict. Well, it was good, it was good hearing and uh, hearing from him and seeing, um, you know – seeing him here today because that's something about just a catcher's perspective. You know, those guys are like the captains out on the team, seeing their perspective on the, on the field and talking about pitching and, and then um, reliving some of the stories. We don't, you know, we don't always get to hear that here in in Atlanta. A lot of times, some of those old stories of the Braves back in the seventies and eighties, um, we don't get to hear those as much because, you know, let's face it, the team now is so exciting that it kind of gets – and then before that, we heard a lot about the 90s because we had those 14 straight years. So I think sometimes the 70s and 80s teams get lost a little bit. So I love having the guys on who played during that time and can, can share with our audience just, you know, the characters and some of the things that happen. And then, you know, you might want to go back and research it and you find out about that. But uh, we do have a great – uh, base of alumni here in Atlanta from all uh, from the 60s, the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. So I, I really like for our fans to hear all those guys and try to get a good mix of here behind the Braves because that is obviously a part of our our history. Yeah, and if you're new, relatively new to behind the Braves, go back and listen to Rico Cardi, who's 60s and 70s. Go back and listen to Bob Horner we had on about a month ago now. He Dale talks Murphy. about Dale Murphy. We've we've tried to do a pretty good job, and I think we have done a pretty good job yeah. uh, close to, closing in on a year of this podcast of representing all eras of of Braves baseball. Yeah. And so, whichever era, like for, and for me, that's been such a treat to get to hear from Bruce Benedict, Bob Horner, Rico Cardi from eras of which I just I wasn't even around for, mm-hmm. I wasn't here for, and to, where it's maybe just a name or a baseball card that I've seen sure. somewhere to actually hear and kind of hear those stories and that era come to life is well, even pretty Smith. special. Even Snit, yeah, yeah he, absolutely. You know, he goes way back, and um, Leo we, goes yeah, way back. That's right. Leo mm-hmm. tells some great stories. We hadn't had a chance to have Bobby on, but um, but yeah, there's there's more that we want to bring bring on the on the show. So. Absolutely. Looking forward to that. Absolutely. We were just talking today beforehand, uh, before we started taping, about some things that we're, we're working on for the second half of the season and for the rest of the year. And it's, it's, we're working on some pretty cool things for you for later on this year. So look forward to having you aboard with us for that. Uh, as always, keep, uh, keep sharing and rating, reviewing, subscribing. Uh, we read all the comments. We appreciate them all, good and bad. Uh, we, the good ones make us feel good. The bad ones we try to make better for you. So that's what, that's what it's there for. It's a it's, uh, constructive criticism we very much appreciate it a lot of these episodes including today's with bruce benedict uh, you can watch on youtube if you'd like uh so check us out there behind the braves on the braves youtube channel uh download subscribe apple podcast spotify google play braves.com slash behind the braves wherever you like to get your podcast behind the braves is probably there yeah if you don't want to watch it on youtube then come out to the game and if there's a rain delay you can watch it <laughs> that's, that's right that's right there have been uh we during recent rain delays 
They've been showing some episodes mm-hmm. on Braves Vision, which has been awesome. I've been uh, getting some texts. From I've been. I've, I'm sitting in the press box, and I definitely get some uh, <laughs> a, a couple uh, nudges in the in the ribs and some yeah. some funny comments my way, all in good fun, of course. So yeah, yeah. If you if you happen to get get caught here in a rain delay, you get to see us in in giant Braves Vision jumbo vision jumbotron form, which is just a treat for everybody. I would yeah, think. and we should probably say thanks to Matt and Ivan for for uh doing youtube for us today yeah Brave vision guys trying to put us on camera and not you know trying to make us look good that's that, a challenge that, that is a tough job mm-hmm. in of itself so yeah Matt and ivan did a heck of a well, job well and you know cameron we never really gave cameron any any uh heads up either so we want to know. shout yeah. out to him too as well yeah Ma- trying to make us look good on camera is a tough tough tall task <laughs> so we very much appreciate it and we very They're much doing app- their best they really are <laughs> <laughs> we very much appreciate all of you listening and we'll see you next time on behind the braves